0: Your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly.
1: Fourth and a half yard at the six of Colorado. Now it's going to be an empty set. Snap back. Adrian's going to run off the right side. He's in there for a first down. He's in there for a touchdown. Nebraska takes the lead back here at Pulsome Field.
0: Now let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin.
1: Here we are, Thursday night, edition of Sports Nightly. Thank you so much for being with us here tonight. We greatly appreciate that. 866 Husker one the number if you want to dot us up with a comment or question. I, I need to check on Ben's status right out of the gate. Are you okay? That was a devastating loss today for the outlaws.
2: Yeah, devastating, but at the same time, I think uh, we are, are turning our focus to the playoffs. The, the lead in the first place is insurmountable. So not going to waste our time, energy, and resources into, uh, into fighting a fight that's just not going to happen. So we, we've resounded the fact that we're going to be in the wild card game and we're turning our <laughs> efforts to the farmers in, in game
1: 163. Okay, and, the, and there's no threat of the Cthulhus coming from behind the catch, I don't think. Boy, I hope not. That would be <laughs> a tragedy. <laughs> Big lead there tonight. Uh, we, got, we got a heck of an hour coming up. We're going to hear from our color analysts. It's been a while since we've talked to Matt Davison. He's going to be along here in a couple of minutes. Looking forward to chatting with Matt. We're going to reminisce about the our greatest games tomorrow night, which is the 97 Husker victory out in Seattle. A top five or a top ten matchup. I think Nebraska was ranked seventh. The Huskies were ranked second uh, in that game in 97. We'll reminisce about that. But I just want to hear what Matt's been up to, what's been going on at North Stadium this week. Um, The players have been, a lot of them have been back since Monday just to kind of get a sense of what's been happening over there at North Stadium. Uh, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and now on here on Thursday. So, looking forward to that conversation with that coming up here in just a little bit. Let's let's start with the NBA. Ben, they did vote today, twenty nine to one, to go with a plan that starts play at the end of July with teams reporting to their own campuses to start practices right after the 4th of July. They're going to play in the Disney Complex down in Orlando. They're going to play an eight-game kind of regular season tune-up and then get into the playoffs. They'll have 22 teams that are going to continue their season. So for eight franchises, their year's done. All they need to worry about is the draft and then get ready for 2020 and 2021 season, but 22 teams will continue on. Your thoughts about what the NBA has put together here to try to finish off this past season?
2: Yeah, I was kind of ping-ponging back and forth um, how I felt about the idea of just starting the season back up with the playoffs without kind of any tune-up. You don't really want to do a preseason to a season that's already basically over. Yeah. and you've got the bottom eight teams who are probably just playing for draft picks anyway so they're probably just throwing games you know at that point um i think it's a great idea i think the 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 location thing is interesting how how they were going to navigate travel um it is definitely uh one way to do it to keep everybody in a centralized location but I think it's a pretty good idea that they've came up with. I think eight's a reasonable amount of games. I think you can do a, a fair amount of load management while at the same time getting your guys in in the proper shape and then, you know, rolling out to uh, to the playoffs. I think it's a I think it's a pretty good idea and I think the structure of it and. You know, this is this is the kind of the brainstorming that we were hoping baseball would have, you know, come up with maybe an outside the box type solution. And uh, and NBA was even a more tricky situation than than baseball because of where they were at in their season. Baseball, they've got a full clean slate basketball. That's not really the case. They've got, you know, 80 percent of their season finished already. How do you you know, come up with a, a logical solution? I think they accomplished that. You think the, the one team that voted no
1: is Portland, who I believe is a playoff team, right? I don't have the standings right in front of me, but I think they're going to be one of the 22 teams to continue on. If you're one of the eight, are you upset about this or do you realize last season was a lost cause? Let's just
2: regroup and move forward. I mean, uh, it's interesting because you, I I saw that too, that, that there was one franchise that decided that this wasn't going to be something that, that they were in favor of. And, um, the perspective conversation, I think, is probably one that uh, we all wish we were a fly on the wall. Was it a unanimous organization type thing? Was there one or two voices that reigned supreme in that conversation that became the mouthpiece of the franchise? They're a good enough team to compete in the Western Conference. Uh, there's no doubt. You got one of the game's best players in Damian Lillard. Uh, you know, to be able to, to compete, I know the Lakers are really tough. Houston's really tough. Um, you know, there, there are tough instances that that are going to make the, the playoff road challenging but at the same time you've got a team that you should be able to feel confident in your ability to go out and compete so um, I think uh, you know overall surprised that it's Portland I think if you were to you know pull NBA fans and say okay you got one guess of, of who was the one that uh, wasn't in favor of this I don't think Portland probably would have been in the top five or ten guesses of of, of where, where the NBA was going to go but definitely interesting that that they are the only one of the entire association to say no
1: and they're one of the 22 teams to go right now they're just on the outside of the top eight in the west they're in ninth place they're three and a half back of the grizzlies for that eighth spot to make the playoffs so with eight games they're not mathematically eliminated their 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 <laughs> their battle is an uphill one with only eight games to try to work their way into the playoff in fact they're in a three-way tie with the pelicans and the kings all have the same uh, record when they hit the halt button back in March. So they will be involved in in at least eight games in Orlando. One team that won't be is Golden State. So the defending champs, they're done. They're finished. They're finished. They can start thinking about the draft. And here's how it's going to work. They're going to run the eight games and then start the playoffs. And they anticipate, Ben, that their playoffs will go no later than October the 12th. And now they've also already set. They want a December 1st start to the next season. So if you're in the NBA Finals, you're going to have less than two months to come back
2: around and get ready to start in that new season. Yeah, but the, the good news is they've had so much time off yeah. now. I mean, they've basically had an entire offseason now. So you're playing, what, not even a third of a season at the end? And and they would much rather be out there playing games than, than, the, uh, than the opposite, right, of – of playing too many games and, uh, you know, worrying about the short amount of layoff. They would be rather out there competing for a championship and then starting fresh normally too. So typically that's a short turnaround. But, Greg, you think about the amount of teams that's actually going to affect fatigue-wise, not very many. Right. What? Six six of these 22 will be done after
1: eight games. Right. Exactly. So the, yeah. they're going to be done by mid-August. And like, okay, we'll get ready for December. And then with each round of the playoffs, you eliminate uh, a handful of more teams as they make their way through. So that the NBA had their vote today. They're full steam ahead. The NHL is motoring ahead to their thing. Uh, so those two leagues are in good shape. Still baseball hanging out there. All right. Mitch Daniels. Mitch Daniels is the president of the University of Purdue. He met... Today, with um, he was on uh, up in Capitol Hill in front of a, a co- congressional committee, the U.S. Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee. They had a hearing today about getting college students back on campus and doing it safely. During this committee meeting, Ben he testified that they are not looking to go beyond one fourth capacity at ross Aid Stadium. ross Aid Stadium seats about 57,000, 58,000 fans. But he says our plan for not only football, but for all of our sports, so this would include men's basketball at Mackey Arena, is to not go above 25% capacity. So 57 58,000 fans. You're talking about having eleven or 12,000 folks at ross Aid Stadium for their football games this fall. Now, I don't know if that's – if he's speaking just for Purdue, is he speaking on behalf of a lot of people throughout the Big Ten Conference? I don't know. I don't get that feeling from the people that I've talked to in Nebraska that they're looking at a 25% cap on their uh, for attendance for football games. Maybe that is what is being talked about behind closed doors, but I don't get the sense of that. But I think we're going to probably just have to take what we can get, and if it's 25%, it's 25%.
2: No doubt. I think there's two ways to look at this. Number one, what you said—if um, you were to ask fans, would you rather have there be 25% fans, zero percent fans, or zero football? Um, they're going to choose 25% fans. If if that's if those are your three options—25% games with zero fans or no game at all. Uh, you're, you're choosing 25 percent that's the best option now in a perfect world there's more than that 50 percent, 75 percent, maybe even full capacity at some point during the season but some of that is probably unrealistic to expect to start now the other part to this as I said there's two parts to me the other part is wh- where is the competitive imbalance going to lie right so if the if the Big Ten uh comes in and, and says we're only going to do this 25% scenario while the SEC is going, well we're going to do 80% and or, or whatever the percentage is. There's a little bit of a you know diversity there in and how you're you're characterizing it. And I think Purdue's a great example, Greg. Think about the difference of a home field advantage at Ross Aid Stadium for Purdue football and taking that same mentality right across that little cement path to Mackey Arena and what type of home environment atmosphere advantage they have in that building and how much they're losing if they're only carrying that 25%. Mm-hmm. So you might pull that philosophy for football, but your agenda might be driven up a little higher for Purdue hoops when you have <laughs> one of the most intimidating places to play in all college basketball. So I don't know I don't know if it's just for Purdue if they could pass football but you know if that's the stance they're going to take they better be ready for it. Hey, we might have a vaccine by basketball season,
1: right? And then it's lifted. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> uh, my, my trusty iPhone calculator shows for Memorial Stadium, a 25% would be 22,500 folks. So it, there would be a little bit of an atmosphere, right? Sure. I mean, 22,500
2: people at Memorial Stadium. You could, you could still get the place going a little bit there. Think about, think about a, a place like Wyoming, or even, or even maybe better the better perspective is a Class A state championship game. I mean, mm-hmm. I think um, maybe not quite 20,000 there, but, you know, you can get a sense of what the stadium will sound like for those that have been in a stadium for a state playoff, state championship game of what it looks like, at least, you know, sparsely full. Now, granted, the folks will probably be as much more spread out um, in, in the, than the state championship venues. But, yeah, I mean, I think you could still do some damage with noise on 20, 22,000.
1: No doubt. And let, let me reiterate make sure I'm clear here. I'm not hearing that from Nebraska officials at all. I, so I don't know that that Mitch Daniels, the president of Purdue, is speaking for the other Big Ten members. I think that is his plan that they have right now uh, in Lafayette for what they're thinking for football in a couple of months. Huskers open with those Boilermakers, at least for now, and on September the 5th. Drake Sharp with you here on this Thursday night and a real treat for us. Our color analyst, Matt Davison, set to join us here tonight. Tomorrow night, we're going to be airing a game that you played in, the Washington game in 1997. Huskers traveled out to the West Coast to play that game. Before I get to that, I just want to catch up. How you doing? What have you been up to? What, what What's the latest?
3: Well, it's been a lot busier. It's been a lot more fun. Uh, the last few months have been trying times for everybody, obviously. And I was able to come into the office. Only a few of us were here, though. And... So it's nice to have the staff back at least some of the staff is back in the office and and some of the players are back as well and so you know a college campus is a strange place without young people and so it's been good to see some of our players and and get back in touch with them and see how they've been doing and and kind of reconnect so it's been great to see those guys and they seem hungry you know I think they're glad to be back I think they want to get to work and get ready to hopefully have a season this fall and and try to win some games.
1: What can they do? Lift, run, throw the football around. What what are some things they're allowed to do?
3: Yeah, we're just doing voluntary stuff, so it's really, you know, up to them. I mean, they're able to to lift and try to get some conditioning and this is where leadership on the team is is really important to have players that can help lead the way and get everybody in the right spot and get everybody working hard and and so, you know, that's where Adrian has been big on offense and guys like DiCaprio on defense and, you know, guys that have been in the program. I mean, we have a bunch of guys that have really emerged as leaders. But, you know, having those guys help with workouts and, and help run workouts and those sorts of things. So, you know, try to get in shape and lift and try to be big, fast, and strong. In football, that's pretty important. So that's what, that's what they're kind of focused on right now
1: yeah no doubt how about the coaches are you starting to see them trickle in a little bit more now
3: yeah i mean you know we did zoom calls pretty much every day during uh, the last few months and so seeing them on on zoom calls is much different than face-to-face obviously and i'm pretty much tired of zoom calls at this point in my life so (laughs) it's good to good to see everybody face to face and and again reconnect and see how how everybody's doing and and just have a little bit more energy in the building. So it's good to have those guys back. We have a great group of coaches and a great group of guys that really get along well. We're not just uh, coworkers, but we're all friends. And so it's good just to see your friends again and, and talk about life and talk about football and talk about all the things that, that are going on. So it's, it's, been, uh, it's been a much busier week, as I said, but it's been a lot of fun. It's been really good to reconnect with everybody. That's great.
1: color analyst Matt Davison with us here on Sports90 on the Husker Sports Network. Tomorrow night you'll be hearing him play. Uh, We'll go back to one of his games, the 97 Husker win at Washington. A tough place to play, usually good football teams out there when you go out there. It was week three of the season, and I don't know how much you remember about it. Your head may have been on a swivel. You were a true freshman and maybe just trying to figure out where the locker was and how to get to the charter flight and all those things, but um, you'd won the first two games of the season, although got pushed by Central Florida in that second game of the year. What was kind of the mood like getting ready for a big game on the West Coast?
3: You know, I, I actually remember that week really well because it was my first trip. And it was such a big game. I mean, there's a lot of games in college. Maybe if you ask me about it, I, I'd have a hard time remembering many of the details. But that was a game that really sticks out to me. First of all, it was a, my first road trip. I remember, I think it was the, the only game my parents didn't attend that I played in because I thought I might redshirt and no flights were available and, and so many Husker fans went out there. And. So by the time I found out that I wasn't redshirting, they couldn't even get plans together to get out there. Um, But obviously I didn't redshirt, so I started playing. And so was our first road trip. It was number seven against number two. I think Washington was number two in the nation. And and it was obviously going to be a hard game. And it's a memorable game for a lot of reasons. You know, we won. Uh, It was a, a great environment for a game. It was where I... I kind of think I learned what leadership was all about in the Nebraska football program. I saw how Grant and Jason really led the way on that trip, and I remember the locker room. I remember the prayer before the game. I remember how Washington's players lined the tunnel uh, that we had to walk through to, to go to the field and how they tried to intimidate us, and that wasn't happening, and it was a good game. It was a loud, wonderful environment. Um, but the toughness of our team really showed through that week. And, and so it's a really memorable game. We we did a couple of things on offense that we hadn't done much of uh, with the double wing and some of the the power stuff with the quarterback. And Amon Green did a great job blocking for Frost. And Scott scored on a couple of uh, quarterback-keeper-type uh, plays and power plays. And... And so it was just a great trip, and really it was that that early big game in the schedule that we knew we had to get if we wanted to win the national championship. And so we got over that hurdle. They were were a really good team, and and somehow we were able to win on the road, and that really got us going and propelled us to get to the number one spot at one point uh, a few weeks later
1: just a great start to the game you scott had a couple of rush long rushing touchdowns in the first quarter you built a 21 nothing lead and that's usually a key isn't it when you want to go beat a really good team on the road is get you can't play from behind right you got to get out in front and that team certainly did that day
3: yeah for sure i mean playing from ahead is good anytime but on the road in a game that's a coin flip type of game uh it's big and i think I mean Coach Osborne obviously was a master, but he was able to to come up with a couple of wrinkles that week and we hit him with the, those those runs from Scott early in the game that they didn't know how to defend and, and the offensive line was really coming off the ball and Amon Green threw a couple of nice blocks, uh leading the way for Scott. And so yeah, it was just a man, it was a heck of a game. Uh Brock Heward was getting chased around. We knocked him <laughs> out of the game. Uh Grant and Jason were I'm telling you, it was just—it was really a turning point for me. I've told the story a bunch, um, but on the plane ride out there, I was sitting next to Chad Kelsey and just asking him about, okay, we land and, you know, what happens? We go to, we go to the hotel and we go to the stadium walk around, you know, do a little walkthrough. So we go to a movie on the road? And, like, where do we eat dinner? I mean, all these things that I hadn't experienced. And then at one point I, I just casually said to him, like, you know, do you think we're going to win? And it was, it was just one of those moments in your life where you never forget, he turned and I mean, he grabbed me by the shirt and put me back in my chair. And he was just like, are, you know, are you kidding me? And he didn't say it just like that, but he said, are you kidding me? Of course, we're going to win. He goes, don't ever say that again. And it was just a a learning point for um, a freshman. And and to watch how the older guys on the team handled that trip as a business trip and and all of that was a, really a turning point for me in in my my sporting life through high school and college and and everything it just was um, a great great trip and obviously we won so it made it a lot more fun but it was a, a big part early in the season to to get us to the national title game.
1: Black shirts were great. They held the Huskies to 43 yards rushing. They had four sacks in the game, and as you said, that's a number two ranked Husky team that you went out and did that to. You had one catch. Do you remember it?
3: (laughs) Uh, You know, I think it was on the far, it was on our sideline. It might have been like a, maybe a 12 or 14 yard comeback route, I think um but I, I know I had one catch in that game for sure so yeah I sort of remember it <laughs> I was doing a lot of I was doing a lot of blocking and a lot of celebrating in the end zone after Scott scored those touchdowns I remember those plays
1: yeah Amon green had 29 carries in that game how good a back was he Matt
3: well he's just a, a great combo of speed and and size and strength. I mean, he, he could run past you. He could run over you. and You know, he had great pad level, and he was tough to bring down. You know, he he would come through the hole, and when he got in the open field, he still had great pad level, and all you saw were these, were these big sides coming at you if you were going to try to tackle him. And so you put him behind that offensive line, which is – you know, one of the top two or three probably offensive lines we've had here. I mean, that, that group was really good, led by Aaron Taylor and Zadiska and Anderson and Pollock and, and Hoskinson and Heskew. I mean, those guys up front were, were big and tough guys, and they knew how to win. I mean, you, you, that probably needs to be said, too, that that 97 team had those those seniors and juniors have been through a lot of winning. And so they knew how to handle big games. And I think that was big going into that one, too, that we had been there so many times as a team and as a coaching staff that, you know, we weren't going to get rattled with the pregame hype or the the interviews during the week. We weren't going to get rattled by the crowd or the, the fact that they tried to intimidate us by lining the tunnel on the way out. I mean, none of that was going to bother our guys. And so there was a lot of maturity on that team that really helped going into a hostile environment.
1: Very good. You weren't a part of the 96 team. The 96 team early in the season went out to the Pac-12 and got beat by Arizona State. Was was that mentioned at all leading up to the Washington game that, okay, last year we got derailed by an early loss on the road to a Pac-12 team?
3: I don't specifically remember it but I'm sure that, that some of the guys were talking about it. I mean, that was a painful loss. Probably, you know, if you look at the 90s for sure, it was probably the, the one loss that sticks out where you just go, man. And it's not just that we lost, it's that we didn't play well. Mm-hmm. You know, the Florida State game obviously hurt in the national title game, but we played well and, and could have, should have won. The Arizona State game was different. We we didn't play well as a group, and, and you know, Grant and Jason came back to win a national title in 97, and they knew that they had to circle that game on the on the preseason non-conference schedule, that that was a big one. And so I'm sure they said, hey, we're not going to let this happen again, what happened to us last year. And so I'm sure it was discussed. I don't specifically remember it, though. and But it was, man, it was a heck of a week. You, you picked a good game to, yeah. to cover tomorrow.
1: It's gonna be fun. Fun to hear. Mike Elliot tells the story that in the back of the radio booth for that one, uh, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett popped into the to that br- broadcast booth for that week. And then you and I broadcasted a game from that that same booth in 2010 when Tater Martinez had a heck of a game.
3: We did. Yeah, that was uh, that was a little bit of a coming out party. I mean, he had already mm-hmm. had some, but uh, you know, he he showed his speed in that game and we kind of silenced the crowd a little bit with some of the long runs that he had. But, you know, our fans have been out there a couple of times, as you just noted. And it's a great place to go play. I mean, the, right there on the water, Seattle's a beautiful town and beautiful city and a, a really nice stadium that was loud and fun to play in. So we had some battles with Washington and then ended up playing them in a couple of bowl games, too. Yeah. So the Huskies are no, no stranger to Husker fans. No doubt.
1: Well, thanks for going down memory road with us. Stay healthy, keep the team healthy, and let's keep uh, motoring away toward a, a some football here in the fall.
3: You got it, Greg. Thanks for having me, and and uh, appreciate it.
1: No sports on this weekend. But we've got you covered. I know everything about film. I've seen over two hundred and forty of them. Time now for Sports Nightly. Flix picks and action all right time to see what we've all been kind of viewing or can recommend to some folks Ben want to lead us off
2: yes I have uh, finally put a wrap on the ranch Netflix original on uh, on the uh, on the tube and I'm a huge fan of it it's it's kind of cringy at the beginning you know when you try and understand how kind of cheesy the story is but it's totally my type of humor uh, Danny Masterson Ashton Kutcher Alicia Cuthbert got a decent decent cast. And uh, Austin's got a little clip. I think this is previewing the last, they call them parts. I think this is the last part.
4: Hey, Abby. You and Colt going on a date? 100% not a date. (laughs) He was supposed to pick me up a half hour ago, but he's not answering his phone. Hang on.
5: Nope, he's not here.
0: (laughs) Iron River Ranch, now the new Matilda ranch i gonna move out of here in 60 days. He's just getting a house? That's what happens when you sell something. The other person gets it.
6: <laughs> I'm there, back in the den. I'm moving back to Florida, permanently.
4: Did you really want her to be miserable in Garrison instead of happy in Florida?
3: And we're a family. We're supposed to be miserable.
2: <laughs> it's uh, such a such witty humor. I, I love it, and and the thing that I like most about it, especially coming off the debacle of Outer Banks finale, the finale leaves you in such a happy, warm place. All the all the storylines uh, are wrapped up. There's not these kind of lost parts to the to the story that don't get wrapped up ever. You know, those hidden storylines that just don't ever get brought up. You feel very satisfied at the end of it, which I appreciate. How many seasons or parts were there to this? There's eight total parts, but there's not that many episodes. Maybe 60 episodes total or something okay. like that. All right. Okay, so like six or seven episodes per part. Yeah, yeah. Eight, uh, six, seven, eight, eight. Eight, I think is normal. I've heard good things. I think I would enjoy it. You would. It's good.
1: Yeah.
6: Awesome. So this one requires just a little bit of setup. I was uh, with my fiancé yesterday, and we were getting ready to take her uncle's jet ski out to the lake, and I, I was trying to toss her uncle a tower, or a little towel, It flew right over her head, and I said, sorry, buzz the tower there. She was extremely <laughs> confused, had no idea what it was I was saying. No. I know. So you, you can get where this is going. My fiancé and I are going to watch Top Gun this weekend. <laughs>
1: Well done. She'll
6: is it, when's the new isn't the new one coming out? Like it was this supposed year? to. They delayed it. I think it's okay. next summer. Disappointing. Okay.
4: It's already shot. I think it's already done, and it's got mm-hmm. a lot of the same characters, yeah. Yeah. All right. Josh. Okay. Alright, well I mentioned this last week. I've got Space Force. That was on my list last week to watch. Um, I've actually made it all the way through, so here's a little bit of a preview of that.
3: When I was a child, our country A man on the moon. We're going back. The
1: president is creating a new branch in the United States military, Space Force,
3: which Mark will run. I don't... mm. (laughs) It has always been my dream to start something from the ground up. But space is hard. May I suggest that that become the new Space Force motto?
4: So I we've made it all the way through. There's ten episodes in season one, and I'll say that you know Steve Carell is never going to do anything as good as The Office. Like we'll, we'll just start with that. But and the, there are definitely some cringy moments in season one. But at the end of the last episode, which we finished watching last night, I was like, okay, I'm actually ready to watch season two now. They left <laughs> it in a place where I'm actually thinking, okay, this is a show that could be decent it's not anything genius it's not great but i had laughs throughout and so it, it was good enough for me to come back and want some more very good all right I, I took in a movie over this last week it's called molly's game here's a little peek this is a true story i'm molly bloom i decided to take a year off before law school so i found a job as an office assistant
1: my weekly poker game is moved to the cobra lounge you'll help run it and hey, molly yeah don't tell anybody
4: i was in a room with movie stars directors and business titans they were going all in all the time
5: thank you molly this is for you i'm gonna stop paying you my assistant
4: you're gonna stop paying me because i'm making too much money doing my second job and if i say no i'll lose both jobs because it doesn't seem fair
5: you don't have bargaining power here you are unimportant
4: i wasn't gonna wait before i put a plan in place I'll be hosting a game in this suite every Tuesday night. Let's play. Tone
1: it down. The big players don't like fast hands. I really enjoyed it. Jessica Chastain is the lead. Idris Elba plays her lawyer. Kevin Costner is her dad. It's a true story. Her younger brother, a lot of Husker fans will remember, Jeremy Bloom, the skier slash wide receiver, the Colorado Buffaloes. I'd recommend it. Those are our flex Picks for the week. Good stuff, guys. As we do each and every Thursday, a chance to head to Chicago and talk with Teddy.
0: He's originally from New York, but now calls the second city his home. He prefers seeing a yellow card over an icing call. His choice in pizza is still up for debate, but his knowledge of sports spans from boxing to yachting. Sponsored by Bathfitter, for the beautiful bath you've always wanted, kickstart your bathroom remodel by visiting bathfitter.com today. Now, here's the worldly Teddy Greenstein of the Chicago Tribune
1: well certainly uh, uh, ever-changing world we live in we've been dealing with the coronavirus for a couple of months now you add in the racial tensions that have bubbled up around the country and certainly in Chicago you've had a mess there as well this is this is a lot to be dealing with and, and the sports world's caught kind of in the middle of a lot of this
5: you know greg as i was telling my kids i thought things couldn't get any worse in 2020 uh until you know when when kobe passed when kobe bryant died okay that's going to be the worst thing we experience in 2020. and now this whole year man i just want to uh i just want to send it send it back uh but that's not possible um so certainly yeah chicago's had a lot of unrest things seem to be calming down uh for now I was not marching, I thought about it, thought about taking part, uh, certainly support, uh, support the effort um, and just hope everybody stays safe out there. And, and we, uh, you know, we address the things in this country we need to and get more uh, racial equality out there.
1: Absolutely. Well, you did talk to Kevin Warren, the new yep. commissioner of the Big Ten Conference, African-American man, one of the few African-American men in that kind of a position of power in college sports. Right. I'm sure he had some interesting takes on all this.
5: Yeah, he's such an interesting and substantive guy. Uh, you know, grew up in Phoenix. He actually grew up across from the uh, home of Elijah Muhammad. His father was on the board of the Fiesta Bowl, first African-American, and Kevin, as you mentioned, Um, you know, a real man ahead of his time. He's the first uh, commissioner of a Power Five conference uh, and obviously an inspired choice by the Big Ten. When you get to know him more, you know, everybody's incredibly impressed. So we talked about a lot of issues. And, um, you know, I asked about his history. And um, we talked about, you know, how he feels in terms of sometimes getting, you know, being racially profiled. So he was telling me a story that when he was working for the Vikings, he and two fellow executives, uh, both whom were white, they were driving from Minnesota, Wisconsin, Minnesota to Wisconsin uh, to attend a funeral, the father of uh, one of the front office members of the Vikings. And uh, on the Wisconsin side of the border, they were stopped. He didn't think they were speeding, but they were stopped. And, And he describes a scene where police come and it was a, a white gentleman who was driving the car and Kevin was in the back doing paperwork. And the officer just couldn't understand how the car belonged to Kevin, but he was in the back and, and his colleague was driving. And he said the gentleman had his, his hand on the holster and was very nervous. And what Kevin told you know, his colleagues at that point was, now you understand. You understand what this is like for African Americans at these traffic stops way too often. So we called it, you know, 15 minutes of fear, and it just should not be like that. So um, Kevin has is, is, uh, created a coalition, an anti-hate, anti-racism coalition, and there's broad range of goals here in terms of voter registration and um, you know, educating Big Ten students and athletes on the issues, and hoping that they will maybe you know, take some leadership and actually try to enact legislation to try to change things and improve society.
1: Teddy, what's been the Northwestern officials' response to this? We've been covering Scott Frost's statement. Fred Hoiberg had a really heartfelt statement. He obviously spent a lot of time in Minneapolis, so that community is near and dear to his heart. What about from the Northwestern angle?
5: Jim Phillips, the AD, came out with uh, about the strongest statement that I have seen. He said, our department has failed. What Northwestern did on Friday was they just took a day to listen to their student-athletes and try to understand what they're going through and what they've been through in their lives and i think it was eye-opening for um you know coaches like pat fitzgerald and chris collins and and jim phillips you know now is the time for people like me to be listening instead of doing so much texting and talking and i think jim you know by listening to the student athletes was saying to himself god why are we still in this place you know decades later i mean i was just reading you know, a story about uh, after the riots in 1968, what the commission came out then, and it was talking at that point about, you know, Negroes and police tactics and all that. So, I mean, that's what, 50 uh, something years ago? I mean, it's been going on forever. And why didn't people, why were people so afraid to listen to Colin Kaepernick? Why did they focus so much on, you know, per, as they contended, offending the flag versus listening to why he was doing this? So now people, I think, are finally open-minded to the idea that we have to listen, we have to make changes. And Jim Phillips' statement was very strong. You know, silence is, silence is basically poison here. Silence is failure. Uh, they must do something now to make things better for African-Americans.
1: Teddy Greensides with us from the Chicago Tribune. Okay, let's get back to the, the coronavirus and its yep. impact on slowing things down. Um, boy, it sure looks like the the Major League Baseball uh, is is fumbling and stumbling their way through this thing. What what are you? What's your sense of if this is going to happen at all this summer for that that league?
5: Greg, I keep saying it has to because both sides have so much to lose. I mean, the players can't have an entire year off uh, of no salary, of no baseball. You know, so from their perspective, that has to be a no-go. And from the owner's perspective, even if they have to lose some money in the short term, if there's no baseball, what happens to the sport? What happens to the value of their franchises? Think about that. So even if they don't care about, you know, society in America and and staging games, wouldn't they be concerned about the long-term effect of, you know, how this affects their team. You know, will there be a 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 percent drop in attendance when baseball finally does come back? So they have to hammer this out. You know, as you know, uh, there's got to be something between the 50 games that management is talking about and the 114 games that the union is talking about. I mean, if you meet halfway, it's 82, which is probably what the schedule should be. And uh, I'd say there's even more pressure on baseball now because the NBA has figured it out with very little or next to no strife. They've got 22 teams, as you know, going to Orlando and uh, baseball has to do its part now.
1: You mentioned the NBA. It looks like now the way they've got this slated out, they're going to be into their NBA finals in the first, second week of October. It's going to be interesting, Teddy, if football happens. We all hope it does. You're kind of in the heart of college football season in the NFL. What about like a game six of an NBA final on a Sunday night up against a pretty attractive NFL matchup? It's going to be interesting to see where the eyes go.
5: Yeah, it'll be the first time we're not longing for a (laughs) 30-for-30. Yeah. I mean, once we actually have live sports, that would be a great problem to have if there's too much stuff going on. If there's a golf major and uh, a college football game and it's an NFL weekend and the NBA and maybe even MLB, that would be a delightful problem to have. And really, I think long-term, it's going to be interesting to see how the NBA handles its schedule. It certainly sounds like the league wants to shift everything later to where they start either on Christmas or maybe a week or two before. So there's Christmas games are of higher quality and clearly they would rather end their season in maybe mid or late July and uh, compete with baseball. than have that month in November where everybody, but the hardcore basketball fans are not paying much attention to the NBA. So uh, let's hope we have this logjam of sports going on in the fall. Yeah, I'm ready for it. Bring it on. All
1: right, what are you working on? You got anything in the hopper we need to be keeping an eye out for?
5: Yeah, you know, I'm about to file a story on a guy named Ryan Padgett. Ryan Padgett was a starting offensive lineman for Northwestern in the Rose Bowl. And then he became a doctor out near Seattle. And Ryan Padgett's hospital is the one where the first coronavirus patients were treated in this country. And he became incredibly ill to the point where he was on life support. He was in a medically induced coma and he needed something called an ECMO machine to save him. So he is okay now, he has recovered, he's an amazing guy. He also just got married in April. Uh, The New York Times wrote about him a couple months ago and my story is gonna be more you know, sort of Northwestern and college football themed. Um, So I'm excited for that one. And then next week, a lot of stories about Sammy Sosa because a week from Sunday, there's a 30 for 30 mm-hmm. uh, about the 1998 home run race. So I have, I've watched the screener, Maguire Sosa, and uh, it's not as good as Last Dance. But uh, we can talk more about that next week
1: look forward to that i've been i i watched the lance episodes boy that's a guy that's not very likable Holy moly!
5: i watched the first two hours i still got the next two and yeah i'll be i'll be grinding my teeth that guy is uh pretty slimy
1: (laughs) yeah he is teddy we appreciate it stay healthy we'll talk next week thank you greg best wishes to everyone
5: out
0: there it's summer the huskers are sharpening their skills with seven on seven drills we're keeping Greg and Ben in shape during the offseason with some 7-on-7 seven seven of our own. Seven topics.
6: A seven-nation army couldn't hold me back.
0: From sports.
6: From Manning seven touchdown passes.
0: To pop culture.
6: I never joke about my web 007.
0: It's time to go 7-on-7 seven seven on Sports Nightly.
6: It's only been like half an hour since we made our flicks picks, but there has been such an outcry for this crew to get back together. Such an outpouring of support (laughs) for that segment and this group of four people to get back together. So, this being their team, their state, their show, we thought we'd oblige them here on 7 on 7. Gotta give the people what they want. It's what we're here for. Let's jump right into it here. So the biggest sports news of the day came out of the NBA with the announcement of a return to play plan for the rest of the regular season and postseason. But one of the side effects of this July 31st restart and later end to the season is the possibility of the return of one Kevin Durant. He might be recovered from his torn Achilles and able to play for Brooklyn. Vegas noted that and lowered the Nets title odds from 750 to one all the way down to 60 to one. Clearly. A drastic difference. So what's your guys' thoughts on this move by Vegas? And our question is, who's the most valuable player to their team in all of sports right now? Like, if you take them off their team, they're terrible.
2: In all of sports, huh?
1: Wow. Well, you certainly make a strong argument for LBJ. I mean, he, he... He's had that run of taking different franchises to the finals, and right now the Lakers have been odds on favorite to get to the finals. I, he, I would go with him as the most valuable guy currently on a pro franchise, and that's way too big of a drop for the Nets. I mean, I, I know Durant's really good, but that's, a, that's like coming down a roller coaster slide on that. I, I think that's way too
2: low. Man, that's a great question. Yeah, that's a that's plummeting for, uh, for the odds there a little surprising that that's the case I think it might be in a little bit of an indictment of just the Eastern Conference uh, and, and how weak it is if they're if they're giving Brooklyn that much of a shot just for one guy coming back now I know it's KD but he hasn't played in a real game in over yeah. a year so um, you yeah, know that's that's quite the uh, quite the statement you know in terms of value I think of my first thought is quarterbacks we've seen what the Chiefs could do without Patrick Mahomes and Matt Moore uh, as, as a starter. I'm, I'm thinking of a guy like Russell Wilson. He's not he's not maybe the, the best, but just in terms of value, I don't know where the Seahawks are without a guy like that. Um, I mean, I think even... I know they're controversial with their draft status, but the Green Bay Packers, you take Aaron Rodgers off that team, who knows where the Green Bay Packers are. Is him and Devontae Adams single-handedly leading them to the playoffs. So um, I would probably start there, but I'm sure... You know, you start picking off NBA teams and taking the best player off each of those teams, and you could, you could, you could wreck some some title chances with taking some of those guys off. You're not sold on Jordan Love, Ben? No, I am not. <laughs> I'm Fair sold enough. on the fact that Aaron Rodgers will not retire a Packer. <laughs> <laughs> there you go.
4: Heard it here first, folks. There you go. Love it. All right, graphic or er, uh, topic number two and. This one is going to make you hungry. A graphic made its way around social media over the past week with the headline, America's Favorite Fast Food. It has a map of the U.S. with a logo of a restaurant over each state. And the reason it's got so much buzz, especially in this area of the country, is because according to the map, Nebraska's favorite fast food restaurant is In-N-Out. Not sure if you guys are aware of this, but Overrated. there aren't any In-N-Out restaurants in the state of Nebraska. So Overrated. lots of people commented that it should have been Runza, Valentino's, Amigos, or another restaurant more unique to Nebraska. So got a couple questions here. What are your what's your favorite restaurant that's unique to the state of Nebraska or at least to this region? And then what's your favorite restaurant that isn't in this area that you can't get in this region? Hmm. I think In and Out is trash, by the way.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean I, right. I started the Look, overrated champ. Here here's the deal. Uh, <laughs> it's got such a reputation that people like people refuse to speak out against it because it's got such a reputation because it's not around here and the burgers are fine. Don't get me wrong. Like the burgers, they're they're fine. They're 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 not bad, but they're not the best thing you ever had. The fries are absolutely trash trash, terrible, terrible fries. You can't even if you try and dress it up with the cheese, the cheese becomes like concrete in your mouth. Like it's hardened cheese. It's not even like the liquid good cheese. The animal style does not make it any better. And what's that saying about your fries? If you have to make them edible, you have to cover them in Thousand Island and onions to even make them edible. That's a pretty damning statement to me. So I am (laughs) completely out on In-N-Out. And I think it's trash that Nebraska chose In-N-Out as the best that there is. And and, and I'll I'll go to their rival that I wish was here and I think dominates it eight days out of seven. That's Whataburger. Give me Whataburger yes. over In-N-Out all day, and I wish there was one here in Lincoln. More I'm with you. On, I'm,
1: I'm with you on Whataburger over In-N-Out. And Josh, I also think they put In-N-Out in North Dakota too. And they're, they they're, did. They're, North they're, Dakota. They're, they're nowhere close to there. Give me for a restaurant coming into the state that I'd like to have. Give me Rudy's Barbecue. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's good. Rudy's is a. It's a barbecue uh, chain and it, they com, combine up with a gas station. So you get gas, you go in, it's great barbecue. I'm telling you, priced pretty darn well. It's
2: good. The best, I, I we've had Rudy's, what, three or four times now, yeah. Greg? Um, and, and the best thing that I had was the prime rib, and we got that when we were in Norman. Ooh, so yeah. good. So good.
1: But for the state of Nebraska, for something like that, it should have been Runza. Runza should yeah. have been oh,
6: the one up yes. there. Yep, 100%. 100%. So we'll stick with the kind of Southwest theme here. Arizona State punter Michael Turk recently had his eligibility restored despite the fact that he A, declares the 2020 NFL draft, B, hired an agent, and C, participated in the NFL Combine. Uh, He went undrafted and unsigned in free agency, and so the NCAA granted him his two remaining seasons of eligibility back. Is this something you guys think should be a policy going forward or a one-and-done circumstance because of everything going on?
1: I love it, and I think we're trending this way. If the athletes want to declare, give it a try, don't get picked, they should have the ability to come back. Now they've got to make payment back to their agent or whatever. They're going to have to figure that out. But absolutely, if these kids are going to do this, the NBA has a pretty good thing. They let you go through the tryout stuff and then you can pull your name out. In fact, I think I saw it today they're giving these kids up until like August 3rd to take their name out of the hopper for this year's draft because of all the delays in the NBA calendar. But in the NFL, you have to make your decision by like January 15th for a draft that happens in late April. That's ludicrous. We're starting to see the NCAA loosen up on these policies. I'm I'm glad that this young man got his
2: time back in college. I'm fine with it only if they maintain the 3-year mandatory the eligibility in, for the in college, yeah. Yeah. you can't. If they start saying, "Okay, you, you can you can declare as a freshman, and you declare as a freshman, declare for the NFL draft as a sophomore, declare for the NFL draft as a junior and as a senior," I I have a big issue with that. If, if you want to let juniors try it and say, you know, throw their hat in the ring and it doesn't work out, let them come back for their last year. But I am not about opening that box for for freshmen and
4: for sophomores as well. Fair enough all right moving on to topic number four a woman in fort myers florida was woken up early in the morning last week by the sound of some banging on her front door she went to investigate and found two alligators wrestling (laughs) each other she took a video of the fight which lasted about 20 minutes and they eventually walked across the street and disappeared but what's the strangest animal encounter you guys have had and what's the most exotic or wild animal that you've seen close to your house then
1: Cl- you're up oh I mean, man need,
4: I've, I've got this in, if you need a minute yeah go
1: think. ahead okay we've got a family of foxes that live around here so i've seen foxes running through our neighborhood that's probably the most exotic mm-hmm. thing and, and from time to time you'll see a deer fairly close to us out here the the closest i've kind of been to an exotic exotic type animal Is we were leaving mount rushmore five or six years ago out there and we were driving along and we got stopped because there was a bunch of buffalo just kind of hanging out on the highway nobody could go anywhere because the buffalo were just standing there and you're like gotta wait for the buffalo to get off out of the way so you can move your car on through now i know those aren't that exotic but you don't see a lot of buffalo
2: at least around here this isn't something that's that's around my house but my dad actually is really into bird feeders and he has some bird feeders that he tends to multiple times per day and he attracts Orioles like Baltimore Oriole birds <laughs> in the backyard. That's not something you see a lot at Nebraska in Nebraska, but yeah. they're they're pretty birds and he's done enough research to find out what they like to get them there and um, that's really the most exotic thing I can think of. I mean you see possums and you know raccoons and everything every now and again um, and and the most exotic thing I've seen. I don't know that it counts being in Yellowstone Park. Yellowstone was, I think, it was our last seven-on-seven. Seven. We've driven that park a bunch of times, and I mean, everything you could you could want to see: moose, antelope, buffalo. But that's that's in an, 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 a national park setting, yeah. I guess. Just in a, in a wildlife occurrence. Um, just this last summer, when we were in Hawaii for my buddy's wedding, we're out swimming in the ocean, and giant sea turtles are literally swimming right around us and you can see their little heads poke up and you can you can see them swimming you know they're swimming within 10 feet of you they're they're kind of numb to the fact that people are in the ocean so uh, that was pretty pretty unique and pretty fun to, to just watch you know sea turtles
6: in their natural habitat just hanging out on the on the shores of the ocean nice Moving on to topic number five. So normally we don't use talking heads from network TV shows for uh, our seven-on-seven fodder, but we'll make an exception here tonight. Max Kellerman, he's on ESPN's First Take, was quoted on his show earlier today saying, quote, no one cares about hockey and it isn't one of the four major team sports, end quote. What are your guys' thoughts on this and should hockey be considered one of the big four in the U.S.? Well, I
1: think hockey is kind of a niche for a lot of people it's pretty big in particular the northeast some of the big population corridors of the country the chicago the new yorks the philadelphia so it's really really big there where i think max is probably going toward and he probably will be proven right in the next 15 20 years is probably soccer and the mls and pro soccer maybe maybe eventually overtakes even in hockey is maybe the fourth of the big four but in the Northeast and certain parts of the country, there's no doubt hockey is one of the big four. Max
2: Kellerman is is what I like to call a uh, an idiot. Uh, that's not, <laughs> not a Roy guy feels? that that has uh, a <laughs> some great takes. I think he he has fallen victim to the ESPN mantra of you know we gotta we gotta dare to be different. We lost Skip Bayless, let's bring another yapping guy on here that thinks he knows what he's talking about. But I think I think hockey's it's unique because it's such a, a, a local and geographical sport. Like, the northern climates are, are much more accustomed to the hockey phenomenon, where they grow up with frozen ponds, like Gordon Bombay in his backyard with Mighty Ducks. You know, like, if you're in Texas or you're in Arizona or Florida, I realize they have pro franchises for hockey. But you don't grow up in Phoenix, Arizona on an ice rink, wanting to play hockey, you're you're outside playing baseball, or even as Grace said, Greg said, soccer, or doing something outside. And I think there are so many limited, you know, climates in, in America where I mean, even here in Nebraska, it's rare you can find it, but it's rare uh, to where it's it's not a sport that's going to demand popularity. But shoot, you go up into Minnesota and, and even parts of Wisconsin and Michigan, and as Greg said, the Northeast that's way more popular than a lot of sports that they have there yeah I mean Ben you and
1: I've been to an NHL game in Phoenix and we saw people just
2: on their phones not even really paying attention at yeah. all of the games one in particular which I couldn't believe we had great tickets great seats and they, yeah they, they would rather be on their phones but you know that's probably I don't know where Max Kellerman's from I can't imagine from a northern climate but I can't imagine he is
4: from Minnesota saying that what do you guys think Josh I don't Austin? personally, yeah, I don't personally think that it. it's, I don't, he can't say that nobody cares about hockey. Like, that's not true. People care about hockey. You can make the argument that it maybe isn't one of the four major team sports, but then, like, what is? You can say that there are three major sports now in the U.S., but there's not, if it's not one of the four major team sports, then you can just say that there's three. And you're right, Greg, that eventually soccer might become that. But yeah. right now, I don't think it is, So
6: is. I'm okay with putting hockey as one of the big four. I don't personally follow it. I still think it's big enough right now to be included. And it's really funny coming from Max Kellerman. He uh, was born in the Bronx.
1: He's a bomb thrower. That's what
2: we call in the business.
1: Yeah. He's a bomb yeah. thrower. He's trying and to he's, get reaction.
2: And that's a guy who grew up covering the 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 as you said bomb thrower greg boxing i mean that's all about yeah. promotion it's all right. about publicity it's all about raising the eye um he's a boxing guy and look if he the criteria should be simple how many teams are in your league how many states or provinces do you occupy what what networks are your postseason on what type of package does your you know regular season package does your league have the nhl meets all those criteria, and there's no other league that's even really close so i don't know what he's
4: trying to argue well there's a reason why we don't usually go with go this direction for getting our topics but they're guys just throwing random things out to uh, make a point but all right let's move on to topic number six we're all hoping that we have a major league baseball season although it doesn't seem Super likely at this point, but according to a report from the Detroit News, if a season does take place in Major League Baseball, team TV and radio crews will do their road broadcasts from a studio instead of traveling to games. Home games will be done as usual, though. Have either of you guys had to announce a game from a studio? And if not, what's the weirdest broadcast position that you've had for a game? I have not had to do one remotely. Um,
1: you know, BTN does a lot of that with some of their sports. You know, they're particularly the Olympic sports broadcasts. They don't send their crews to soccer, even some baseball games they don't have that. So this is not real odd or rare. It's becoming more and more common. Um, I've done some strange places calling high school football where I've been like in the back of a pickup truck, uh, <laughs> down behind by an end zone to call from. So those have been some, some odd spots.
2: Yeah, for me, um, it takes away so much of just the feel of calling a game when you're not in studio I've or where you are in studio. I, I have never had to do that. Um, the most bizarre place I've broadcasted from, it wasn't a game. We talked about the Women's College World Series earlier. Nate and I did sports nightly from a parking garage of our hotel <laughs> when there was a tornado happening a half a mile from our facility. That was a night that never forget um, and, w- and the most bizarre place I've, or roughest conditions for broadcast sadly to, <laughs> sadly to say uh, picnic tables right behind home plate with no cover I mean I, there's still one and he said it not me school in this league that uh, you know you, you require a hundred foot extension cord for power and uh, yeah you don't really need to dip too far into the memory
6: bank to pull that out All right, topic number seven. So a West Virginia woman and her husband were arrested earlier this week on multiple charges, uh, saying that she faked her own death to avoid prison time. So this woman had previously been charged with federal health care fraud, so she, her husband, and their 17-year-old son concocted a story saying she fell to her death from an overlook. They even planted some items at said overlook to make it look more realistic, but back on Tuesday, she was found hiding in a closet at their, at their home. So hopefully it never comes to this, but how would you guys fake your death? Oh my god! All right,
4: All right. Oh. we waited until question seven to ask an incriminating question. So It would, it would be, be something held absolutely it. epic. Like you know, <laughs> yeah. something was on fire, and I ran in
2: and saved like eight children and a bunch of pets. Or yeah, you know, but then you'd have like to that. have the big
4: fire and stuff. You'd have to have that.
6: What's a little arson on top of all that hero rescue,
4: right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, if, I'm guessing if you're having to fake your own death, that you've done something bad, so you may as well burn down a house. or something. All right. Here's mine. I,
1: I would I would be out, up in the mountains. Tell everybody I'm going out for a bike ride. Go off for a bike ride, toss the bike over the ledge, and see ya. I'm gone.
6: <laughs> <laughs> but there's no
1: body. Somebody will see the bike. I'll, I'll strategically throw it to a place where somebody's going to notice it. Right, oh, We've got cool. helicopters,
2: you know. We've got helicopters and, and search teams and roads. Okay,
1: up. okay. then I'm Unless off of a, a cliff. I'm you into the woods. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm on the ocean, down an ocean highway, go.
2: and yeah. I fall over the edge into the ocean. You're parasailing or something, and your cord gets cut, and down you go. <laughs> what a grim topic, boys. Yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> All right, Ben. It's, it's faking it. What a bunch of con artists.
4: You, 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 you have healthcare <laughs> fraud, and then you're like, well, let's double down on the frauds. You know, let's. <laughs> well, the oh, fact boy. that they brought their 17-year-old son into it, he's not even, you know, of age, and you make him help you with it.
2: Maybe, maybe try and isolate, like, Walter White instead of, you know, live in your house and hide in your closet. Yeah. Ben, you, you, haven't, mean, you haven't sounded off on this yet. On what? Well, how are you going to fake? I just told you. I'd go into some
4: Fire. sort of burning
2: building or. Ah, see that. Yeah. If I, I mean, honestly, like, if I were really trying to get away with something, it would be something water-related, <laughs> you know, because the, the amount of, you know, you don't find a lot of bodies in water. Yeah, true. Especially but... large bodies of water.